Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, I'm Ali. And I'm Felicia, and we're the co-founders of Keep Your Head Up KW. Our organization's mission is to improve traumatic brain injury recovery, including concussion, through a community-based platform, providing education, empowerment, and social connection. In today's episode, we're discussing traumatic brain injury through the eyes of athletic therapists. This episode is sponsored by HeadCheck Health. HeadCheck Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada who rely on HeadCheck to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadCheckHealth.com for more. For this segment, we asked Bree Donaldson, head athletic therapist of the Guelph Storm Hockey Club, to share her experience supporting individuals with concussions. So we'll start off with asking Bree a couple questions today about a little bit about what she does supporting athletes dealing with concussions. So let's maybe start off where it all begins, on the ice or training or whatever that may be, um, talking about baseline testing. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about, um, maybe just enlighten us a little bit about baseline testing, Bree? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me today. Um, as Alicia said, I'm an athletic therapist and I get a pretty fun job because I get to work with my hockey team. I see them every day. Um, but athletic therapists also work in clinical settings, um, as well as teams. There's lots of different opportunities, but, uh, we'll talk mostly from a team perspective today. So, um, with most contact sports, most one of the first steps to getting ready to play is completing a baseline concussion test. And there's many different ones out there. So for example, there's a SCAT test, there's different versions throughout the year. Uh, there's impact testing and a whole variety of different uh, tests that are a little bit more physical um, as well as those cognitive tests. So what is baseline test? It's, it just gives us a good picture of where the athlete is at um, mentally. So we test their memory, their, um, their ability to recall facts or numbers. And then we also like to test their balance and a few 
uh, motor skills and decision making. And regardless of whatever type of test you use, everyone has their own preferences. Um, what's important is that you, you use the same test before an injury as well as after. That way we're able to get a picture of any possible deficits after a traumatic brain injury and we can use those new results as a, a stepping stone throughout the recovery process. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. So a huge thing that I know is, um, well, I I got my injury through um, a sport injury. And I actually, it was over 10 years ago. And when I got my injury, I know there wasn't the baseline testing before my season um, compared to what there is now. And that just shows the evolution of how things have gone in the right direction. Um, I have a question about baseline testing. I've just heard stories about people like memorizing the test or like it being kind of like the system being cheated, which like breaks my heart because it's supposed to be there to protect your health. I know people just want to get back on the field or on the court or on the ice, but um, what is the protocol in terms of like the athletic trainer or therapist or like someone being there to conduct this kind of baseline testing? That is a great question. And Towards your first point, it is actually quite amazing how far concussion research has come in the past five, 10 years. It's essentially a new topic uh, or a newly recognized topic. So uh, the amount of research and new protocols are just amazing. I, I love seeing all the new developments. Um, but then about your question, um, how do we get good results, which that is so key. Um, it really... First things first comes down to educating the athletes. Um, the test is for their own good. So if they're trying to memorize answers or, you know, skew their symptoms so that it sounds like they're always off, it just comes down to education and telling them that being truthful, there's no wrong answers on a baseline test, but we need to know, we need to get a clear picture of what is normal for them so that if there is a serious injury, that way we're able to help them. Um, and then there's different protocols as well. So most athletic therapists and healthcare providers uh, typically follow along the lines that if you're able to, the same person should administer the baseline as the follow-up. So for example, with my athletes in Guelph um, and any other team I've worked with, I run their baseline test, um, whether it's on the computer or, or uh, just different different skills that are tested uh, by me with paper and pen. We get our information and then I'm the one who tests them again after injury. That way, that way it's the same type of test. There's a little bit more validity and repeatability in the testing, um, which is what we look for in, in any form of test. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Felicia where I didn't have any sort of baseline testing before my injury either, but I remember being on the field after I got hit and the trainer asked me like can you repeat um she asked me a whole bunch of questions and then can you repeat these numbers to me backwards and I was like oh my gosh I could do this in my sleep but like it was coming out at such a normal speed and in my head I was like oh no something's wrong with me but I couldn't vocalize it and she would have no idea so I think it's really awesome that um there's those processes in place where 
there's so many different tests and that there's education to teach the athletes the importance of actually performing accurately. And then um, what you mentioned about validity, like having the same person administer them. Um, I can see how that could be so helpful in making sure that you can identify when an athlete shouldn't return to play or should be monitored further. Yeah, exactly. And even if you don't have a baseline test, um, just repeating from day one, from the onset of injury, those, those tests that you were probably asked on the field, so remember these three words or say the alphabet backwards, all those little um, cognitive skill testing questions, you can repeat those tests throughout the rehab process. So even if you don't have a true baseline from before injury, ideally these tests will still show improvement or deficits every time they're repeated. And um, going back to people trying to memorize, we've definitely improved the tests over time. Um, I think I mentioned with the SCAT testing, there's about five different versions now. And every year, every few years, the um, International Conference of Concussion in Sport is held and they make revisions and propose new tests. So there is a wide range of people and scientists all working towards improving these tests so that we can be even more specific with our athletes and get better results. That's really good to know. One thing that I'm really curious about is because some concussions can present themselves like hours later or um, days later, and you might have to make a tough call on the field or on the ice when you're trying to decide if a player is able to return back to play. And so if you were to administer one of those tests and the athlete wasn't presenting anything visible based on the test, what do you do in that case? And like, how often do you think that gets missed? That is a amazing question, um, and you're right. It is very common for symptoms of concussion to take an hour or two or even almost 24 hours, especially in adolescent athletes. So we do, as therapists, as healthcare providers, we need to be on our game and have an eye out for any type of changes. Um, and one thing, so whether we notice a facial expression or something different with the athlete's eyes. Maybe they're a little less focused. Maybe they're a little bit quiet. Um, or maybe they, after five minutes, they can't remember those three words you gave them on the ice. Um, it's all those little things that we're looking for. But most importantly, I know we're going to touch on this later, is uh, Rowan's Law. So the slogan for that is hit, stop, sit. And what that means in regular terms is if your athlete or your child, your friend gets hit in the head or some type of injury that you suspect could lead to a traumatic brain injury, you want to remove them from the play no matter what. You need to give them at least a little bit of time to sit quietly, let their adrenaline settle, have that conversation with them. And typically, if you have a bad feeling or in a lot of cases, the athlete will say to you, I don't know what's wrong, but I don't feel like myself. Um, then you make that decision together to, to remove them from the game or practice. And, and maybe if they aren't having very pronounced symptoms at that time, if they just kind of feel off, maybe it's best to save your testing for the next day. Um, there's no hard timeline on when you need to get it done. You just want to make sure that 
your athlete's well-being is prioritized and you don't uh, put them back to play in a dangerous situation. So do you find that athletes are pretty receptive to that protocol? And what do you think makes the difference between whether an athlete follows your advice, especially in the absence of symptoms? Um, Yeah, like how, how does that typically play out? I'd say it mostly stands on the ground of having trust between uh, myself and the athletes. Um, They know that I'm looking out for them. And we've had, again, with the baseline testing, we've had that conversation right at the start of the season about expectations and when they, they need to listen. And they know that these circumstances are essentially not negotiable if we've seen them get hit and we have taken the time to, to have this. We've gotten to the point where we're, you know, giving them a few pre-questions to, to test out symptoms. We've gone to that point. And as well, these athletes have, have grown up now. It's been a few years of pretty standardized protocols. So they have just come accustomed to, to not trying to fight you for, um, for getting back in the game when they know that they aren't feeling well. Uh, we, they know that they want to have long careers in whatever sport they choose to play in. Um, and even if it's recreational, they, they want to keep doing what they love in the future. So they, uh, for the most part, most athletes understand that when they are removed from the game, it's for their best interest. And I at least always tell them if it's not, if you're not back in today, we'll get you back in as soon as possible. And we'll just take the rehab from there as it presents. I'm so glad to hear that. I always wonder how the increased policy and protocol has actually influenced athletes. So I'm really glad to hear that. And as I'm hearing myself, I'm putting a lot of the onus and the return to play on the players. But um, I'm just really glad to hear that across the board, like the players, the coaches, the parents, the policymakers, everyone seems to be uptaking all of the learnings that have happened over the past few years. And so um, everyone has their role to play in it. And yeah, I'm just excited to hear that piece. Couldn't agree more. That's awesome. So that kind of segues us into talking about um, the return to play protocols. Um, Really interested in learning about that, Brie, and seeing what um, exactly the procedure and what athletes need to do and not be doing and what needs to be done for them to be back on their ice or court or field or whatever it is. Yeah, as I'm sure the two of you know uh, from firsthand experience, every brain injury is going to present itself a little bit differently. So there'll be the athletes who are very symptomatic for just a few days and then progress really quickly through their rehab. And then people who are going to take longer and are going to take steps forward and back and forward and back for however long until they are feeling normal in whatever sense of the word. Um, And I think the most important thing for therapists to know and coaches and parents, like you said, is that it's okay to see those setbacks throughout your recovery. Um, So in terms of return to play, we want to see people progress throughout their rehab in a way that is safe, so in small increments and without too much disruption to their daily life. So most athletes 
who are in competitive sport also have to return to school. So we call that a return to learn policy, wherein as they're dealing with their symptoms, we need to find how much threshold of uh, stimulus they can handle. So whether that's sitting in the classroom for a full day or a part day, making modifications there, that is our number one priority. And we work very closely with guidance counselors and teachers to make accommodations as needed. So that's our first priority as I believe most leagues deal with. And then from there, these days we're getting away from sit in a dark room and don't do anything. Instead, we, need, we definitely encourage rest as much as needed, but that's just one little pocket. So we also encourage good, healthy eating, lots of hydration, as we need to fuel the body to fuel rehab. And then from there, we like to go through um, different exercises, uh, varying intensities to match their symptoms. So if my athlete is struggling with his balance, we want to start working on balance exercises and just kind of reintegrate all of their sensory systems. So their motor, their cognitive function, and their vestibular function. We want to incorporate the full body, treat the body as a whole. So that could be different protocols um, on a bike, getting up, getting your heart rate up just a little bit using a heart rate monitor to keep tabs on, on how intense we can get. And then maybe you move from the bike to doing different memory tasks with cue cards. And then you move on to trying to juggle. So there's so many different realms of rehab that will challenge the body. And ideally, um, the therapist working with your athlete, you can, you can get to know their symptoms and kind of day by day, week by week, you start pushing that threshold a little bit longer. So you can jump from riding a bike for five minutes to riding a bike a little bit harder for 15 minutes. Um, and just as you progress, you start off as your general activities and very single item tasks. And as they start to feel better, you get more sport specific, integrate all of the systems that I mentioned rather than, uh, than just one at a time. And you get them back to their elite level of function. Well, hearing all those things brings me back to when I spent time working with an athletic therapist. Um, I did a lot of work with these little like balls that you could juggle, but my trainer would like throw them in surprising directions at me. And I would have to like try to catch them to work on my balance and eye tracking. And I remember like it, it being really hard and frustrating to feel how that felt like how challenging it was knowing like my previous athletic ability but what I liked about it was that it was different than all of my other clinical rehab that was more like purely medical where I didn't really get to see how I was progressing and feel it but with athletic therapy you really um, get to start moving your body and doing different skills and the results are visible to you. And it was really nice to see their progression. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's still so many facets, like with athletic therapy and, I mean, most healthcare professions, we all work together depending on the patient's need. But as athletic therapists, we, we have the manual skills to work on relaxing the musculature in the neck and back, you know, decreasing headaches and uh, painful symptoms 
that they might be experiencing kind of in that acute rehab phase. But then you're right, it is honestly really fun to get into the gym, make it feel like they're they're practicing, not, you never want your athlete to feel like he or she is a patient. Uh, I try to keep it as sporty as possible, um, just so that, that psychological readiness to return to play, um, that way we can check that big goal and make sure that they aren't feeling isolated or alone, you know, pushed away from their team. We never want them labeled as damaged. We're just labeling them as we're going to take a different route to today's activities. As we get better in the rehab setting and, you know, you kind of overcome those frustrations, then it's really satisfying that, you know, I'm sure you've noticed you master that task and it feels good and you have a little win and then you get to set a new goal um, and work towards that. I think it's also so important what you mentioned about like not isolating them from the team. Um, they're part of, well, it depends also what, what sport you're playing or where you got your sport injury, but you're generally part of a team. And like I got mine in the sport accident and I was isolated from my team. I couldn't go to provincials. I couldn't do all these things with my team. So being connected and being like, yeah, maybe you're not doing the same stuff as your team, but you still don't have that symptom of that social isolation in which you feel with concussion. Um, being able to do something with your team is huge. So I think that's um, a really important part that you mentioned that it really stood out to me that it would really boost just their emotional mood, which is huge. You're right, Felicia. Emotional well-being is so important um, for any injury, really, but especially with a brain injury. Um, your life changes so dramatically, whether it is short-term or long-term. There are so many changes, and because of the the changes within your brain, your emotions could be not what you normally experience. So as a therapist, making a little bit of their life resemble somewhat of a normal schedule, keep them around their friends, um, that is all we can hope for. And even if you're in a sport situation where your therapist isn't with you every day, ideally what I would do, uh, if I was just working in a clinic and maybe covering some field sports or had someone come in that I didn't see every day, you can totally give them little homework exercises to do at practice um, if, if their symptoms allow them to be in that type of environment. But ideally, you, you get them involved as much as possible and make it work for their own lifestyle. Yeah, that's huge. I really like that piece. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, Brie, I can definitely relate to the um, emotions being out of control thing that you mentioned. And I think it can really cloud your judgment in terms of like how much of an end of the world you're really experiencing. And I don't mean to discount that. Like I truly felt that everything was wrong with the world and I felt a lot of devastation in, in what changes happened as a result of my injury. But do you find that since you work with athletes, many of them have sort of a similar mindset where they're go-getters and experiencing a concussion can be really devastating and it can be difficult to go through a more prolonged recovery? Yes, definitely. Um, like you said, athletes are such highly motivated individuals. They have big goals. They, they want to get right into it. Um, you don't know many elite athletes who are described as lazy. So um, that's one of the fun parts of my job, but it also can be challenging. 
um, because they want to rush. A lot of athletes have the mindset, the, if you can do more of something, that'll make you better. Um, and in certain instances, that's correct. But a big risk uh, during concussion recovery is too much too soon. So again, trust and communication. I just try to educate the athletes and the parents and the coaches. Coaches also like to rush. Um, you just need to educate them on it's going to take time. We can't really predict exactly how you'll react. But it's also insanely normal to do a little bit of rehab one day and then wake up the next day and feel not so great. You might, you might spike your symptoms occasionally, and that's okay. Um, it can be very frustrating, but it just shows us that we've kind of reached a new level of threshold and we've gotten this far, but then we saw some symptoms. So we learn from that, just like how we did with the baseline test. You learn from where you're at and you tailor the next day's exercises to suit your current needs. So maybe you have a great day of doing your, your juggling, like you said, Ali, and you know catching a ball and making a decision. Maybe you have a great day of that but the next day your headache comes back or you're a little bit nauseous. So then we change our rehab and we say, okay, today we're still doing, we're still gonna make progress, but we're going to just be a little bit more low key. Let's work on the spasm in your neck instead. And let's work on getting rid of your headache with some muscle work, with some meditation. And then the next day, hopefully you wake up feeling a lot better and you get right back into your more challenging tasks. So. Um, it can definitely be frustrating for the athletes. Um, you don't, you never want to see yourself fail. So when you wake up, not, you know, if you feel like you've taken a step backwards, that can be really hard on someone. Um, but if you take the time to sit with them and listen to them um, and make sure that they're being heard, then ideally you keep taking steps in the right direction. I love that. So obviously you spend a lot of, time with athletes throughout their recovery process and I'm sure you've seen quite a variety so what advice do you typically give athletes affected by concussions and like what would you say to anyone listening who is an athlete um, going through concussion recovery I think my number one piece of advice would just be to be patient like I said every day is a new challenge every injury especially with the brain, is unique in its own way. Um, so just patience with yourself. Be proud of every little tiny milestone, you know, of, of a symptom decreasing from a six to a five. That is a huge win. Um, be patient with yourself and, uh, and ask as many questions as you have. I, I ask my colleagues questions. I, uh, I still take lots of courses and try to continue learning. And I think the more an athlete asks and learns about their own body, it gives them a little bit more control and a little bit um, of a better foundation to, to understand what's going on with them throughout their recovery process. I love that. I love everything you said there, but the two things I took away was celebrate everything small, big, celebrate them all. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Like it's your recovery. Like you can see handful of different doctors you can have ups and downs but don't be afraid to ask questions because it's truly your body and you should know what's going on and uh, the more you know 
knowledge is power. So the, you gotta ask questions. That's that's I really like that one too. It's awesome. Yeah, become an expert in your own body, your own recovery. Yeah. So I guess that's all for today. Bree, I'm so glad that you joined us today. I feel like we could definitely do another podcast with you. So many questions we could ask. For anyone listening, you can connect with us on Instagram at keepyourheadupkw, on Facebook at keepyourheadup. And we also have a website, www.keepyourheadup.ca. Thanks for listening. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.